Welcome to The Scrapple, the podcast dedicated to serving up a mix of all things diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Some episodes will be serious, others will be lighter and humorous, and a few might have you questioning everything. I'm your host, Riley B. Folds. For today's episode, I'm joined by Jonathan Lovitz. Jonathan is a nationally recognized public policy advocate and community organizer. In addition, he's running for Pennsylvania's state representative. I met Jonathan years ago at a National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce event and kept tabs on his career ever since. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks, my friend. It's great to see you and congrats to you on uh, all the work you've kept up with in so many different companies and with the community. It's It's been great to watch. It's great to see you again. Great. Thanks for being here. I'm excited about today's topic, representation and inclusion in politics and government. So much mm-hmm. is happening in this space right now. I couldn't think of a more perfect guest for the discussion. So thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you. Jen, we met at an NGLCC event. You served as the organization's senior vice president. For those unfamiliar with the organization, explain the mission and the important work that you were involved in. Sure. The NGLCC, the National LGBT Chamber of Commerce, is the world's largest LGBT economics and business organization. We serve in the U.S. alone 1.4 million LGBT business owners who contribute more than 1.7 trillion with a T dollars to the US economy every single year. Uh, And that's despite the challenges against American LGBT business owners. There are still, despite marriage equality and other major achievements for equality in the workplace, being a business owner is still fraught with challenges. There's still 35 states where it's perfectly legal to deny an LGBT person a bank loan, which is the essential access to capital they need to grow. There's still all kinds of implicit and explicit biases in contracting, uh, especially in some of the major development projects in the South and the Rocky Mountain West. So we're always working on making the marketplace as equitable and inclusive as the workplace. Thank you, Jonathan. Now you decided to take the leap and run for the 182nd House District in Philadelphia. What led you to this decision? I believe in service. I believe in putting the skills that you amass over a career to work for, you know, as Hillary Clinton would say, to do the most good for the most people as much as you can. So This opportunity to serve my home district popped up because my friend who is leaving the seat after 10 years is not running again. And it was the perfect call to action, I think, for me after COVID, after witnessing such a tough year for small business owners, for community groups, for the political process. And I think the painful memories that we all have of what we went through in the election cycle and afterwards, that I realized I can be a part of making that better. You know, the tagline for my campaign at loveitsforpa.com is let's make a difference because I think each and every one of us has an obligation to do what we can. And as someone who has spent the last 10 years passing laws, helping small businesses, fighting for minority communities, defending a woman's right to choose, working on education, fighting against gun violence, which is deeply personal to me and my family. So many issues that are at the heart of of who I am are at the heart of the 182nd district where I live. 
And this district is the beating heart of Philadelphia. It's where 42% of all jobs come from. It is where the corporate headquarters and the hotels and the high rises are, but also the community groups and the local organizations and the clergy and the, the networks that power our great city are, and they need a champion. They need someone who will help fight for them and their causes, but also help shine a spotlight on the, the voiceless and unheard, because it's so important that Philly as such an important part of Pennsylvania be recognized when decisions are being made that affect the entire Commonwealth, especially with such a majority minority population here that needs people who can speak and fight for their issues economically, socially, in the justice and political arena, and do all of that in a way that brings people together without creating divisions, which is what we've had far too much of here and in politics, frankly, across the country. So coming from a government and public policy and community service background, I think makes me the perfect candidate to also be a pro-business Democrat in this bright blue and, and full of opportunity district that needs someone that can really help revitalize it. I keep saying Philly is at this tipping point where we can either be the next Detroit or the next Boston. And I'll be damned if I let us be the next Detroit, because we have the opportunity to be the great city. I know we can be the reason that my husband and I moved back here because we believe in the city and all the opportunities that can afford people. And I'm going to do everything I can to make that possible for as many people as I can. Great. Thank you for that. Okay. Let's talk about representation. While there is more work that needs to be done, it should be noted that the 117th Congress is the most racially and ethnically diverse in history. Overall, 124 lawmakers today identify as Black, Hispanic, Asian Pacific Islander, or Native American, according to Pew Research. This represents 97% increase over the 107th Congress in 2001 through 2003, which only had 63 minority members. Additionally, there are currently 11 openly LGBT members, all of whom are Democrats. Two are senators, and the rest are in the House. This is most LGBT congresspeople serving at the same time in our history. Jonathan, tell us your thoughts on this watershed moment. It's inspiring. It's incredible. It's beautiful. It's every good adjective, but it's also a call to action. We have so much more work to do. You know, the, the Victory Fund, where I was trained to be an LGBT candidate and whose endorsement I'm seeking in my race, is, you know, is there to help thrust more LGBT people into public life. And at every level, from president to, you know, local city council and school board and so much more. Because we need representation at every single level, but it's less than 1% of all elected officials are LGBTQ, or at least openly. But what's amazing in looking at this Congress, including my, you know, my dear friend Richie Torres that I worked with in New York passing laws, you know, the people are bringing all of themselves and all of their intersections to work. You know, he's the first LGBTQ, Afro-Caribbean man in Congress, you know, we're showing people that all of who you are matters. The fact that we have, you know, LGBTQ Native Americans, the fact that we've got, you know, women of color who are represented, it's incredible, but shows us that we cannot just rest on our laurels when we see these glass ceilings shattered, it's incumbent upon those folks to drop that ladder down and make sure they're helping build a pipeline and pulling people up with them, which they do so beautifully. It's certainly something that means a lot to me. 
I'm the product of great mentorship and role models in communities, folks who have the guts and the gall to be first. And so for me, building a pipeline of young, diverse talent from all communities is an important part of hopefully my office in the future, but also just in the work I do every day, because we, my friend, you and me and everyone listening to this are living in the time that we will see the last of the firsts. What makes me nervous is where's the bench of the next? So we are all obligated to help find, recruit, support, mentor, fund minority talent from every community, because until Congress and every state house and city council and office of the dog catcher looks like the communities they serve, it's still just a bunch of old, straight, white Christian dudes setting the agenda for a majority minority country as we are rapidly approaching that moniker. So we have to make sure we're reflecting all of us at that table. Well said. Yeah, thank you for that. Shifting from representation to inclusion, voter rights have been under attack of late. You found the phillyvoting.org initiative, expanding voter registration and civic confidence in the city of Philadelphia. Can you tell the listeners more about phillyvoting.org and why it was important for you to be involved in such work? The simplest act, and I think the most important act the majority of Americans can do to shape their own future and the future of those they love is to vote. And those who give up that right without a fight are abdicating their responsibility as Americans. It is the most concrete way you have to influence not just the people who are representative of you and make choices in office, but ballot measures, tax measures, all of these things that touch our lives intimately, and especially on the non-presidential years. You know, we're here in Philadelphia in 2021 right now, we're all getting fired up for judicial elections. No one seems to be overly enthused about voting for judges until they're in front of one. Uh, So remember that these choices that you might let someone else make on your behalf can fundamentally change your life. So vote, vote, vote. Tell everyone you know to vote, vote, vote. But the Philly Voting Project was so special to me and my colleague, who is now my campaign manager, when we started the project because we realized the call to action wasn't specific enough to the communities that we are both a part of here in this amazing city of Philadelphia. Looking at the numbers in 2016, the Hillary Clinton versus uh, Voldemort elections, you saw the difference in Pennsylvania, the key state in 2020, was 40,000 votes between the two candidates. In Pennsylvania alone, there were 300,000 unregistered Black voters. There were over at least 150,000 unregistered LGBTQ voters, and on and on and on for other minority communities. So we set out to create something that was free, easy, accessible, and would speak directly to the communities who needed it most. We were able to leverage local LGBT women, black owned print shops to help us make QR codes on posters, put them up all over town. And remember, this was the right in the heart of COVID. So the the idea actually came to us while out marching in Black Lives Matter rallies here in the city with clipboards and pens and rubber gloves and all of that, trying to get people to sign up. But that was the height of lockdown when people were really afraid to touch things. So we went to go drown our sorrows in a beer afterwards, like you do, that we couldn't get nearly enough people registered. And while scanning the menu for the happy hour with the QR code, we realized that's the answer. The path of least resistance is use what you've already got. Everyone's carrying around a supercomputer that can 
help them register to vote and then tell their friends and family why they just did. So we made it easy. We also made it open source so people all over the country can copy our model. And thankfully they did. My only regret is we didn't start it earlier. Thanks, Jonathan. We couldn't talk about this subject without talking about the Mayor Pete effect. For many LGBTQ advocates, his run served as a historical counterpoint to the notion that Americans would never vote for a gay president and a sign that more LGBTQ candidates would seek elected office. How did Mayor Pete's run influence you? And do you think we'll ever have a gay president in the office? We've had 45 presidents. So by the math, We've had one or two already. What is imperative is that the country is in a place where that is the least important thing about the people we elect. Pete is a brilliant policy thinker. He has transformed the role of transportation secretary into king of all infrastructure. And when you're talking about putting Americans back to work and getting folks building, putting union labor uh, back in the forefront, that's all happening through through this leadership moment between him and the Biden-Harris administration. But I think Pete's meteoric rise is so indicative of the moment we're in that people are hungry for leadership, period. Qualified, professional, driven leadership that is not predicated on rhetoric or hate or whatever might drive others to get into the field. But the other thing to remember, too, is, and I say this as someone in a very similar boat as Pete, We cannot for a minute ignore cisgendered, white, upper middle class privilege and the rooms it allows people like me and Pete to be in that perhaps a similarly qualified or ambitious trans woman of color, first generation immigrant who's eager to serve her community might not have. And so I talk all the time and I've heard Pete and others say it, our obligation as people at the table is to use the microphones and spotlights turned on us to say, we have to talk about who was not invited here. You know, I may not be a great dresser, but I've got damn fine coattails. And I want to use them to pull people into rooms they were not invited to. So I think his rise, the rise of other LGBT politicians like him is a beautiful statement. But it again reminds us that until the vast array of diversity in our country is on display by those at every level of public life, private life, corporate life, you name it, we're still just treading water. But man, it feels good to be in the pool and treading water. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Thanks for that, Jonathan. Shifting topics, I want to get your thoughts on the insurrection on the Capitol on January 6th. I can remember watching it go down on TV. It was unreal. What do you think the event says about representation and inclusion in government? I can't think about January 6th without getting simultaneously heartbroken, but also inspired by courage and the conviction of those we saw immediately take a stand against it. We are not done with this. We we need to, we will route out those who were responsible. We will remove hate and anti-American violence from our country, we absolutely must because we can't function in a democracy where people do not believe that it works because it does. You get the government you show up for. So do that at the ballot box. Your you know weak, feckless thug mentality that says you need to overturn elections because you're sore losers does not equate to some form of democracy in action. It's the opposite of that. 
but the coalition of voices who have stood in opposition to what happened from government leaders to corporate leaders to clergy to everyone in between saying, this is not who we are as Americans, we will not stand for it. And to see these recounts and fraud examinations of ballots and voting systems all over the country, including what's starting just this week in Pennsylvania, is deplorable on every level because you think about the time and energy and money wasted that could directly be helping people. So I think we all need to be charged and inspired by the activism that has come following January 6th to, again, register more voters to make sure that there isn't an inkling of doubt in future elections because the landslides are so high, that we're all participating in the civic process, that we understand how government works, that we support those making change and making a difference, whether it's financially, whether it's marching in the streets, whether it's knocking on doors. But we have to defend the sanctity of democracy. Otherwise, there's no point in fighting for anything else because everything roots through our voice in government. Great. Thank you for that. All right. I can't believe we're already running out of time here. What advice would you give to our listeners who want to get involved in politics or voter rights? What do they need to know? And can you tell us a little more about the Victory Fund that you mentioned? Every journey begins with a first step. And every single person out there is capable of taking a step that makes a difference at the scale that works for you. Sometimes it's just tweeting out, hey, here's how to get registered to vote. Sometimes it's, you know, leading the parade down Main Street and saying, this is what we're fighting for. Sometimes it's being a corporate change agent by speaking out against intolerance or discrimination at your company. Whatever you're comfortable doing, do it. In action is the only thing that will cause any of us to fail. So be a part of the change. I, I end every conversation, every speech, every lecture I get to give at colleges with the same quote from Margaret Mead. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world because it's the only thing that ever has. So be part of the thoughtful, committed citizens. And when we all participate, we are anything but a small coalition. So get involved, find what matters to you and fight for it. Because if not you, then who? That's how I feel about running for office. I know what I'm capable of doing to help people. So if not me, then who? Someone who is less than capable. So find that, get involved, make a difference wherever you are at whatever scale that means to you, but you can't sit the fight out. You mentioned the Victory Fund, one of many amazing organizations out there that help diverse candidates train and get prepared to run for office. Uh, the Victory Fund has been invaluable to me in helping prepare my run as an LGBTQ candidate, but so have other groups like Run for Something, Jewish Dems, you know, Emily's List that does incredible work training women candidates. There's just so many great groups out there. And to your point earlier about what are the trends that we're seeing, this is it, that there are so many groups invested in reflecting the diversity of our country at every level of government and service that exists. Find one, support one, run for something, if not back someone. I'll tell you as a candidate, nothing means more than people who say, I wish I had the money to help, but what can I do? Money is incredible. It is a huge factor in campaigns. Anyone who is able to support, we'd welcome anything you could give at lovitsforpa.com. But your time, your energy, 
texting, call banking, whatever you can do to make a difference makes a difference. There's a reason that that's the slogan of my campaign. Let's make a difference. And it's not I will and it's not you will. It's let us together make a difference. Because when we're collaborative and work together towards a common goal, there is absolutely nothing we cannot achieve. So go get them, my friends. That's great. And what a great message to kind of end this podcast on. Uh, Our time is coming to a close. I want to thank you again. Good luck with the campaign. I hope that you will come back and share more with us. After we're in office, we'll do this many, many more times, my friend. I I thank you. I thank you for your hard work and helping elevate so many voices and topics on your podcast and in the work that you've always done. And everyone out there, thank you for listening. Thanks for being a part of the change we all want to see in the world. And I will see you soon. And to all the listeners, thank you. The conversation doesn't stop here. I ask you to connect with me on Twitter at The Real Scrapple. Until next time, care for each other just a little more. Uh